Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning, morning, y'all here in Baker and everyone over in the sanctuary. Am I on? I think I'm on. Okay. Doesn't sound like it. So, yes, I just want to highlight uh, something that is in your worship folder. I mentioned this last Sunday, and it is the Alpha class. Are we sure that I'm on? I don't... I can talk loud, but there we go. Woo! Come on. I eat. Had to crank it up. Uh, What does it mean to follow Jesus? I just want to highlight this uh, for one more Sunday. It's an alpha class, which we run periodically here at King Street, but I just want you to know this is starting up next week because it is a great opportunity for you. And by you, I mean one, you may be here and you're not certain about everything that the Bible teaches and who is Jesus and how can I have faith and and uh, why did Jesus die? You may be here today with those questions. This is a great interactive place to ask those questions and dig in. I also want to encourage you to think about this course if you want to just get more clear in your heart about how to uh, share your faith and to be clear on the real basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So that starts uh, 11 o'clock next Sunday. So let the church know this week if you're interested, but I just wanted to really put a plug in for that class. Uh, so turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to, uh, to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, or your handhelds. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 30 this morning. Uh, really digging in and uh, just kind of to, to get our minds together, I wanted to um, share an article that I ran across this last week uh, as I was thinking about what Jesus teaches us here in John chapter 5 and kind of the way the action plays out. And the article was entitled, Churches Would Be More Popular If They Stopped, Quote, Banging On About God. Sir Simon Jenkins says. That's the title. Churches would be more popular if they stopped banging on about God. And the, and the article goes on to talk about churches versus cathedrals in primarily Europe and England. I think Sir uh, Simon Jenkins is English. And uh, if you were to travel Europe these days, you would see these five, six, seven hundred year old beautiful cathedrals, right? These structures built hundreds of years ago. And apparently, these days, in Europe especially, uh, these structures to go to these cathedrals is more, you know, it's more popular than going to a church, a gathering of, and it says this, cathedrals appeal to the public's desire for a more spiritual, less religious experience. Considering the popularity of cathedrals among the public, he said, quote, there's something about cathedrals that draw you in which is not drawing people into churches. If you go to a cathedral now, it's anonymous. 
Check this out. It says, it's pillar worship. Pillar worship. So evidently, you know, these cathedrals have these beautiful surround. Pillar worship. No one shakes you by the hand. No one says, peace be upon you. I asked a cathedral canon or priest once why they're doing so well. He said, unlike churches, we don't bang on about God. Well, so that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Uh, it's pathetic because, um, you know, yeah, but yet here's why I thought about that. Because that's exactly what got Jesus in trouble in the text that we're going to look at today. People that, that uh, lived in Jesus' time, they just wanted some kind of spiritual experience or they were seeking out some religious method. And Jesus came banging on about God. And they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it. So let's look together at John chapter 5. Uh, I'm just going to read this for you, all right, out of the NIV, 30 verses. But I, I want us to hear what's happening here and to hear the words of Christ. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, which is on the northern edge of the, the old city of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem, a pool, spring-fed pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which means house, house of grace, house, house, I'll say it right, house of mercy, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades or pillared coverings. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid, paralyzed likely, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time and he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. Then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk at once. The man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, Wow, check you out, dude! Whoa, sorry about that. That's not what they said anyway. They said, hey, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Wait, what? Really? But he replied, well, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. 
Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus then gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He does, yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death into life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming, indeed has now even come, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself, and He has given Him authority to judge, because He is the Son of Man. Don't be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, Jesus said, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Wow. Amen. The word of the Lord. We have to keep in mind, whenever we, whatever we read in John, we always have to keep in mind what John, I use this language, is doing in this gospel and why. What, what is he doing? What's, this is not by any stretch just kind of a random collection of events in the life of Christ. No, there is a very specific purpose in the order and in the inclusion of what John shares with us here. In fact, I want to bring us back to why. Jesus, John tells us, performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which I have not written here in John. But these are written. They're, not, they're recorded in this book so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's something that happens in, in our hearts and our minds, that we have faith in God that we believe that Jesus is God, that we believe that Jesus loves me and is my Redeemer, my Christ came to rescue me, and that by believing I might enjoy life, experience life in His name. So we see John saying, I have given these signs. In fact, seven signs are, are in John between chapters 2 and chapter 12. We've seen two of them already. In, in chapter 2, Jesus turned the water into wine. That was the first sign. In chapter 4, as we looked at last Sunday, we see Jesus healing the royal official's son from a distance. Right? It was a distance healing. He said, go, your son will be well. And sure enough, 
It happened, and the man and his household believed. We're looking today at the third sign that Jesus gives. Then we see in chapter 6, two signs. One is the feeding of the 5,000, followed by Jesus walking on the water. And then in chapter 9, we see Jesus, much like he heals the paralyzed man today in this text, he heals a man born blind. So a man 38 years paralyzed and a man born blind in chapter 9. And then in chapter 11, Jesus then raises Lazarus, who was his good friend in fact, from the dead. So these are seven signs that we see in in the Gospel of John, and we've already looked at two of them. These two actually took place up north, up in Cana in Galilee. And I made a point to show you last Sunday that, that they kind of form a three-chapter section where Jesus is up in the north. And by that, here's how I want you to kind of think of it. Think of New York City and upstate New York, right? Two very different both in New York, but you don't have to go all of that far, 80 miles out of New York City, when you start moving into the Hudson Valley and up into upstate. Very different. That's Galilee and Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the, is the headquarters. It's, it's where all of the actions, where all the religious leaders are. It's, it's where the government's at. It's all of that. And you go up north into Galilee, and it's almost backwoods. That's how the Judeans of Jerusalem viewed the north. And so Cana was just a, a small little village in Galilee where Jesus turns the water into wine in chapter 2. And we see what he did here in Cana was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And then last week also in Cana in Galilee... Uh, this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea into Galilee. So this official and his whole family believed. Let me tell you kind of what I want you to see in these first two signs. Just see the fact that they're a little out of the way. They're not drawing any major attention to Jesus. You know, we've got the disciples building in their faith. We've got this royal official and his family coming to faith. But this is not, I mean, if you put this on a, a seismograph in terms of an earthquake, it's hardly even a tremor in terms of what was felt throughout the nation. But we now come to the third sign, healing the paralyzed man. And here's the verse chapter 5, verse 1, sometime later, so it separates chapter 4 from chapter 5. 5 through 10 is now a new section that we're really going to dig into. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Well, it's due south, but whenever you go to Jerusalem, you always go up in the Gospels because it is the high place, if you will. It's, it's center stage. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. There were a number of feasts and festivals throughout the Jewish calendar every year, four to be exact. And so it was like holidays. They would, the Jews would go up to Jerusalem and, and, uh, and enjoy these feasts and these holidays. So that's what Jesus is doing. Now, here's what I want you to see in this. That we are now entering into a new phase in his ministry where Jesus, in many ways, is sailing into the eye of the storm, okay? 
Basically, everything from here on out is going to be sailing into the storm, which is exactly what Jesus meant to do. It is on purpose. So Jesus then goes into Jerusalem, and he singles this man out. Look back at verses 4 and 5. Uh, this, this man lying there, been there 38 years. Life expectancy for most males in this culture was 40 so this man had been there really an entire lifetime in that culture, 38 years. He's lying there um, at this particular spot where, um, you know, there was this pool. I've actually had the opportunity to visit where archaeologists are almost certain the pool of, of Bethesda was, just north of, of the temple. And you know, they've dug down and they found the, the remnants of even of these colonnades. And so what apparently happened was a spring would kind of gurgle up, stir the waters from time to time more than others. And it was believed that if you got into the water, I don't know if it worked or not, I don't know, but that if you got into the water first, you were healed. So Jesus sees this man lying there. He finds out that he's been in this condition, 38 years. And so Jesus focuses attention, his attention on this man. And he asks him a question. Jesus, over and over again, asks this question of people. What do you want? <laughs> do you want to get well? Is this something you desire? To which the man says, oh, Well, you know, sir, I don't have anyone to help me. I mean, you'd think he would just say yes, right? But no. He says, uh, and okay, we got to get inside his mind. And he's, he's literally thinking, my only hope is in this water. Sir, I don't have anyone to help me. While I'm trying to get in, someone else always goes down ahead of me. Which, I guess in some respects, I would call it not a terribly impressive answer. But that's kind of where his mind is at. And then Jesus, verses 8 and 9, says to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. I'm going to come back to this phrase, pick up your mat, because honestly, it's a little redundant. Get up. You'd think you would say, get up and walk. Get up and walk. But he adds this little detail that if you're just reading through it, you're going to miss as being unimportant. But it's, in fact, what becomes kind of the central trigger of this whole chapter. Get up, pick up your mat at, and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked and just kept walking because he didn't even know who it was that had just done this for him. Down to verse 13, the man who was healed had no idea who just did this for him. Now, okay, to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe Jesus healed him and then quickly ducked out. I don't know, but he didn't even find out, this is curious, that he didn't even find out who had just done this for him. He had no idea who it was, for Jesus slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus finds him at the temple and again approaches him and says, see, you're well again. But I think we ought to look at this. One of the commentators, I'll show you in a moment, calls this a half healing. His body's healed, but not his soul. Because he says, Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Wow. Stop sinning or 
something worse may happen. The man went away, not sorrowful, not glad, not repentant. He went away and threw Jesus under the bus. That's what he did. He told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who made him well. Now, I got to say, my whole life, I haven't had that negative of an opinion about this man. I mean, I, we have to have a lot of compassion for him, but it is interesting that uh, as I read through a lot of commentaries, he does not come out in the best of light, <laughs> which when you really look at it, uh, Bruce Milne in his commentary said, the man does not appear in good light, in a good light in this story, either before or after his healing. A timely reminder that physical healing in itself is no guarantee of spiritual healing. We definitely see that. Being freed from our affliction may not lead to a godlier or better life. Frederick Bruner said, he called this whole passage, Jesus' Sabbath day half healing, right? He didn't, his soul wasn't healed, his body was. Of the, he called him this, the hard to like half dead man. Oh, wow, I, I, I didn't quite see it that way. But nonetheless, no matter how you view it, the healing is not the focus of this story, okay? This healing is, is what? Come on. It's a sign. It's one of the seven signs. It's pointing to a greater truth. That's really what we need to see here. This healing, what Jesus did, is pointing to a greater truth. And that greater truth is simply stated this. Jesus is God's Son. Jesus is God Himself. And Jesus is life. That's the greater truth. That's what's being told here. That's why John includes this event as a pointer to who Jesus is. So let's go back and pick up this phrase, pick up your mat. I said, right? It's easy to miss that. Pick up your mat. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. So the man picked up his mat. Well, this event, literally, of him Picking up his, think of a yoga mat, right? Or whatever he was laying on, whatever, um, you know, whatever cushion that he had been on for 38 years. Jesus was very specific to say, pick that up. Take it with you. The man did that, and this event becomes a spark. Or to kind of use the metaphor of dominoes, right? This domino hits that domino, hits that, and it begins this series of events. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Of course, Jesus knew what he was doing. He did this very intentionally on a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, hey, wait a minute. It's the Sabbath, the law. Of, what are you doing carrying your mat? Uh, without getting into too much detail, the Jew, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people of that day had layer upon layer upon layer of rules that they had to follow. And apparently one of them was you weren't allowed to carry a bedroll on the Sabbath day. Law forbids you. But he replied, wait a minute, it's not my fault. The man who made me well told me, pick up your mat, right? So I told you, it becomes way more prominent than you would think. And so they said to him, who told you to do this? So, verse 16, because Jesus was doing these things 
on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. So what we then start to see is this whole concept of, of working. So this man was guilty of carrying his bedroll, which was the guilt of carrying, of working. He was breaking the law. But Jesus, in healing him, was also, what, working? <laughs> he was working to heal him. And this is when they are now, the Jewish leaders are all over Jesus for working on the Sabbath. And I want you to look at verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, see, what I want you to see is all of this is leading to this moment. This sign was very intentionally performed by Jesus on a Sabbath. Jesus picked this man out, and the dominoes fell to the place that in verse 17, court is in session. That's how I want you to see this. That's how we need to see this. This is now a trial. And Jesus, in verse 17, makes his defense. He represents himself, if you will. And he said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day. Now, what I want you to see in that is they would have understood that God, see, we, we're not part of this culture, but, but this is how they would have heard this. They understood that on the Sabbath, God the Father worked. His work was the work of sustaining the universe. His work was the work of mercy. They believed that God the Father worked on the Sabbath. So Jesus said, yes, my Father is always at his work to this very day, today. And I too am working. Okay, this is what tipped the scale. God the Father works on the Sabbath. Jesus then said, I work on the Sabbath. And they immediately put the two together and understood the math. Jesus was saying, I am God. I am God. The charge just went from a felony. See, they were persecuting him. I don't know what that means, but they were honing in on him. They were attacking him. They were, I don't know, maybe trying to seize him. Whatever whatever persecution looked like, they they were intent on doing it. Maybe taking him into custody. I don't know. But the charge just now went from a felony to a capital offense. That is punishable by death. Because look at verse 18. Uh, Verse 18 says that for this reason, they then tried all the more to kill him. See, right then and there, they begin, this is is now really to set the stage for the rest of the gospel of John. It went from a felony to a capital offense. I I appreciate what C.S. Lewis has to say about what's happening here. He said this in Mere Christianity. He said, In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words would imply what I can only regard as silliness and conceit unrivaled by any character in history. Wow. You know, that is so true. This this can be viewed as nothing more than silliness and conceit by any speaker in human history if they're not God. You must make up your, make your choice. Either this man was, was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You know what? This right here, this, 
This tip of the spear, if you will, is happening over and over and over again right here, right now, today, in our world, in our culture. People determining, who is Jesus? Who is he? Do I just want to go and sit in a, in a beautiful cathedral and worship the pillars and hear some music and meditate? Don't give me anything about God. Don't bang on about God. I don't want to hear it. You see, we have to make a choice. C.S. Lewis was an atheist early in his life, and yet he looked at passages like this, and him, like us, have to make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And this event, this trial, sets the stage for a sermon. And I read it for you. Verses 19 down, well, it, actually I'm ending it today at 30, and next Sunday we're going to keep going and look at the second half of his sermon. But what this is really, the, it's called Jesus' divinity sermon. What does that mean? That means that Jesus is claiming himself to be God. See, we, we think of this in light of John 1, which begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word you know, was with God, and the Word was God. He is the light of the world. He created all. John begins his gospel by giving testimony to who he knew Jesus to be. But here in John 5, Jesus himself claims equality with God. Equality. He's saying, I and the Father am one. I can do nothing without the Father's help. In fact, the Father has given me the power to judge all human beings. And what we see here in, in John 5 in this sermon is the glory of God, the majesty of God. We see life being revealed. In fact, look at verses 24 and 25 just to highlight a few Verses of this divinity sermon. Very truly I tell you. And let me remind you, this is John writing these things for right here, right now. This isn't for an audience 2,000 years ago. This is right here, right now. Very truly I tell you. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, believes in the Father, has eternal life and will not be judged will not be judged, <laughs> but has crossed over from death to life. When does that happen? When do we cross over from death to life? When we believe. When we make this decision, conscious decision in our heart, that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come, right here, right now, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Church, we have the choice right now. We're hearing God's Word. You're hearing God's Word. The question I want to ask, are you listening to God's voice? Do you hear the voice of God calling you to believe, to trust, you know, the people in this story wanted to silence him. 
They threw it out like it was nothing. They wanted to kill this voice. Hear God's word. Listen to his voice and believe. I've written these things, John said, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might experience life in his name. I want to ask you to join with me in prayer right now because, Jesus, we come into this moment, this place, this time right here. God, with many of us with very heavy hearts, many of us with trials, in fact, all of us with stuff that we're dealing with, Lord Jesus. In the same way that this man was lying there for 38 years, And Jesus, you saw him, you approached him, and you asked him, do you want to get well? Lord Jesus, this isn't some piece of fiction. This really happened, and it's happening right here, right now. Because your voice, through your word, is asking us the same question. Do you want to be well? Do you want to experience healing? and life? Do you want to know joy? Do you want to be restored? And Jesus, we see in this account that it wasn't just his body. Yes, you brought healing to his body, but that was just half of it. Your heart for him was his heart, his soul, because you pressed way beyond a physical healing, and you said to him, stop sinning. Stop sinning. And go and live and walk in my grace. Jesus, you're speaking to us right here, right now. And in this moment, Lord Jesus, we just want to say to you, we believe. I believe. I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that in you I have forgiveness of sin. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the way, truth, and life. I give you my heart. give you my all. Lord, I give you thanks. Come and fill me. Touch me. Heal me. I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed Amen. this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.